When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning into Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday Fallout for Season 12, Episode 57, The State's Closing. This week, we heard Bob break down the closing arguments presented by Aggie at Robert and Christian's trial. This episode has stirred a lot of emotion and brought up a lot of listener questions. So after a quick break, Bob, Janet, and I are going to do our best to get them all answered. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. Hundredth cappuccino by eight, two hundredth customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go. That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky Business. With 4G internet backup and our stay connected guarantee, that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30 second 4G activation or one off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only. T's and C's apply. All right, welcome back, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us. Before we get started today, just a little a little more housekeeping, a little update in the saga that is the business of NBI Studios. Uh, we want to let you guys know, um, as far, first of all, thank you so much for everybody who joined the Patreon. Like, you guys are, uh, are keeping the ship afloat right now. Um, industry-wide, there's more issues. We'll get, I don't want to get into all the details here. We talk about it more in our, in our Patreon pre-show. Um, but we're definitely, we're definitely making cuts to keep things afloat. So first thing I want to tell you guys with any changes that are coming up, every change and everything that we're doing is 100% to make sure that we can continue putting this show out for you for free every week. I think the work that we're doing with truth and justice is, is important enough that we're willing to make sacrifices and do whatever we have to do to make sure this stays up. Uh, and, and we're going to continue doing that. Um, I, 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 I should announce to you guys now that here in, in a few weeks, um, we're going to, we're going to kind of be cutting down on production side, back down to really a one man operation. Uh, and that's just necessary, which means, um, if you notice the editing is not as spectacular as it usually has, be, it has been, that's because I will be editing everything myself. Um, I actually did this week's episode, uh, cause Kelly was traveling, but, uh, I'll be doing the editing, we won't be probably doing like the scored episodes much anymore. We're Shane, you know, where there's kind of music throughout. We just we just can't afford to keep 
doing that. So Shane, we're, we're still working with Shane. He's making us tracks for me to lay in in the editing process, uh, which again will be terrible because I'm not a good editor. Uh, <laughs> but but we're gonna we're gonna keep it afloat. But uh, and you guys are with all the pay, the new patrons we have. That's that's helping a lot. But we're also uh, the good news for you guys is is we are going to be adding a different. Uh, we're gonna be not taking not not replacing, but adding. Some new content for you guys. We're at least going to try it out and see how it goes. Uh, and that is, for those of you that are here in uh, in the YouTube chat right now, uh, it's going to be right here in YouTube. Janet Varney and I, Miss uh, the, the wonderful Miss Janet Varney and I, will be doing what we're going to call True Crime Live. We are, at this point, we're talking about trying to do, and we'll be working out kinks. Uh, starting next week, we are going to do a YouTube live stream Four days a week. That's the plan. Uh, we both have crazy schedules, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but it'll be casual, kind of fun. You know, we both we 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 both we both love true crime, and we both uh, uh, love comedy a little bit. So it's going to be kind of just a fun, casual conversation where we talk about true crime news of the day. We've got an idea that we're going to be doing uh, what we'll call celebrity pop-ins, uh, which will be kind of a fun thing where we pick. A celebrity, either in the true crime world or maybe the comedy world, send them a Zoom link without warning, and they will join uh, from wherever they're at and engage with chats. Uh, and the way that we're going to, um, I'm so, oh, you guys are warming my heart. Everybody in the YouTube chat sounds like they're gonna uh, like this. So good. I'm hoping it'll be fun for everybody. And the way that we'll, and what we're doing is the the big issue in the podcasting space right now is that advertising is going away because of the economy. We make our money on advertising. So what we're doing through our, our YouTube live streams there, you know, we have things called super chats where people can uh, donate a little, you know, a little bit of money to highlight chats that we'll read. Um, and, and so we'll be using, we'll be adding content using super chats, things like that, just to keep the ship afloat and make sure that everybody uh, th- that we can keep putting out truth and justice. So we'll give you more on that, but just know uh, that that's going to be coming. Uh, and it'll be, you know, the ideas will be kind of a daily thing, like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, depending on our, on our schedule, true crime news, casual chat, celebrity pop-ins, uh, uh, and that'll all be on YouTube. So if you are not already subscribed to the truth and justice podcast, YouTube channel, do that, hit the bell for notifications. Uh, that way you'll get a notice when we go live, we'll let you know what times they are. And yes, we're going to try to mix up the times a bit. So that uh, different groups can get into it. So like some will be in the morning, some will be in the evening. So different people in other parts of the world and with different work schedules can handle it. Uh, Janet, somebody has you cracking up from. I'm laughing. I'm laughing at the idea that all of all of the recession stuff is not real. And it's really just your glasses addiction. Chris, Chris Kelsey's (laughs) like, all of his glasses, he's having to make cutbacks on everything else. Listen, I have three pairs of glasses now. I went from zero to three, and uh, it's hurting the bottom line. Somebody's got to pay for these glasses. (laughs) It's really hurting the bottom line. (laughs) So uh, that's it. I just want to let you guys know, again, all of you on Patreon, seriously, thank you guys so much, and we hope you're enjoying all the extra content you get over there. But that's really like – Without you guys on Patreon, there would be a we would have to have a serious talk about like can we even main, manage to keep doing this? Uh, but you guys are keeping that that ship afloat, and we we appreciate that very much. And those of you that are in the live chats here during the during the follow up to do little super every uh, every little bit is just keeping the engine running so that we can keep putting out truth. And and, and we're getting close to when we're going to launch into uh, season thirteen of Truth and Justice, which I am extremely Zach and Janet know what what's what it's going to be it's going to be different 
It's going to be asking for listeners to engage, to help make a difference in people's lives in a very real way. And I'm super excited about that. And uh, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we keep doing that. So uh, with all that important stuff, I guess yeah. it's going to say bummer, but it's not a bummer because we're also doing like, I'm actually really looking forward to doing the, the live streams and stuff like that'll be, that'll be fun. No, for sure. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that uh, I, I'm like such a nerd that I'm like, oh, I'll, this it'll be so fun to have a catch all for stuff where I'm just like, and now I'm, and now I'm taking song requests. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Whatever it is, whatever we want to do. Because I'm an idiot. Yeah. And for, I know there are people who are still rolling in as we go. So if you want to participate in the super chat, um, you have the opportunity to do even like a dollar, whatever you want. Um, that's going to highlight questions for us. Uh, they can be on topic. They can be off topic. But as soon as we finish the uh, bulk of the episode proper, we're going to circle back to the super chats and address some of that stuff with you guys live on YouTube um, at the end. Yeah, and that's and that's what we're doing here on the follow ups that we're already doing. Um, and with that, uh, let's move on to the topics of the day. I'm trying to think if there's any other kind of housekeeping things. I don't think so. Um, oh, I do want to say also, patrons. The one thing I don't like about Patreon is when you sign up at one of the levels where you get a T-shirt or a hat. It there's or a T-shirt. It there's nowhere for you to say what size your T-shirt is without us like trying to track everybody down. So if you're a patron and and I owe you a shirt, go on Patreon uh, on the app or whatever and and just shoot me a message with your size. I have the list and addresses of everybody that needs shirts, I, but I don't have the sizes of everybody. So uh, do that so that we can get those shirts out to you because we do. I just did get a big stock of shirts to send out to people. And now that we're on to the episode, Zach, what did you think about the state's closing arguments? It's disgusting. It really is uh, to hear the way everything was presented. I mean, we know that nothing none of that is supposed to be taken into consideration i mean i i believe that's part of the jury instructions is that at this point you know the the closing arguments are not supposed to be taken into consideration well no that's not a, it's not that they can't take them into consideration they're just not supposed to consider facts stated they're not supposed to consider things stated by the lawyers during closing as evidence which is which is a weird thing cuz we're saying the same thing right i feel like we are but i guess we're not yeah but it's, so it's like there's the lawyers are supposed to come up and kind of sum up everything that happened at the trial and help you better understand how it all fits together. And that's supposed to be considered. But if they say something like, so-and-so said this happened at nine o'clock, you're not supposed to take that for fact because you heard the actual evidence. It's a weird I, thing. I, that's that's baffling to me. Like, do you know any history on that? I, I'd love to try to get to the root of that. And maybe someone like Colin knows. Um because I, that seems like it almost would have had to be born out of something. Like maybe it didn't used to be like that. And then there was a really important case in which a prosecutor did misspeak and that changed yeah. everything. And so that this sort of rule became adopted that was like, well, it's a lot to hold a prosecutor or a defense attorney to, to actually stick to the hard data in their closing. I think we should give them a little more leniency and not really worry about that so much. Like it just seems because otherwise, why wouldn't you hold? The last thing you hear from an attorney at the same standard as like that attorney was also mm -hmm. in the trial. The attorney also sat so, and listened. The attorney is also supposed to be familiar with the facts. Why don't they why aren't they tasked with using those facts in a very literal way as they sum up the case? It doesn't make sense. I'll see if we can get an attorney on. I, I, might, I might reach out to Colin and see if maybe he can come on. I'm sure if anyone knows. Explain that to us. Because I, because this is the way I think it is. And again, I'm not an attorney, but the way I understand, the way I think it were, is it's it's 
intended to be a, a summary. Lawyers are not allowed, I think by law, they're not allowed to misstate evidence in their closing. I think that is in the rules. And also, the the closing arguments are not considered evidence. And so what that weird loophole creates is that when when uh, an attorney objects and says, you know, objection, they're misstating the evidence, the judges give them the leniency because they're like, well, maybe that's not right, but the the the, the jurors know that's not evidence. So, and they'll remind them. I've seen it in many trials where they'll be like, just a reminder, what he's saying is not evidence. Go ahead. And it is severe. I do know it is severely frowned upon to object during a closing argument. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it's a weird thing. So like, I think the rules are there. They're just not followed. That's a, it's such a mess to me. That's so bizarre. So these are the closing arguments. And now what we're going to hear moving forward, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, is the defense closing arguments. Right. And then the prosecution gets to rebut that as well. Yes. The, the, so it, so what we're going to have, I, I was hoping to get, but the, the actually the defense closings are longer than the prosecution. So I may, we may have a different episode. I'm in the middle of going through. Uh, Mr. Dolan was Christian Smith's attorney, his closing right now um, for this week's episode. And it looks like it's probably that's going to be this week. And then next week I'll do more and then we'll do a final wrap up with the um, uh, with the state's rebuttal. But, yeah, it goes in this case, we have two defense attorneys, uh-huh. two but, but say a normal trial. The prosecution gives their closing. The defense gives their closing. And then the final word is the prosecution gets to come back up and do their rebuttal closing. And then that's it. That's the last word. Uh, that the jury heard, uh, and I did just remember the one, um, uh, the one other housekeeping thing that is, that is relevant to all this. Uh, I've been t- telling you guys for a few weeks that uh, listener Nicole Carpenter was going to come on the show with me and present the um, the guilty argument, and we had talked. We actually had a date scheduled, but then I said I wanted to get. The, you know, we both agreed it would be best to get through the closing arguments first. Uh, she reached out to me this week and has backed out of that, and she's not going to be doing it. So either we're not going to have that, or if somebody else wants to step up who believes Robert and Christian are guilty, wants to have the opportunity to come on and uh, discuss with me and state the case for that, uh, they're more than welcome to do that. If nobody does, then we're just going to move on without it. That's disappointing. I'm really, I'm honestly really disappointed to hear that. I wanted to hear this other side. I wanted to hear what the other side had to say. We've not discussed this at all, Bob, so you may shoot this down in the moment and you can feel free to go ahead and edit it out yourself. But um, if also if it's a situation where someone wants to put together something for me and or Zach to read to you almost like a follow up, but it's a follow up of very specific data based questions that are like, you know, to create that debate that you're that you're would be looking for with a person. But if a person doesn't feel comfortable doing it. Again, Zach and I want that, and I know that Bob welcomes that discourse too. This is not just absolutely. Um, we're not just pretending like, oh, we're you know, just pretending like we care yeah. and like paying a little wink at the you know. I, we want to understand this stuff, and we want to you know find out why it still seems like it's 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 an issue. And so I, I'm happy to do that. Like I'm 100 yeah. percent happy to, to participate you, in that and, and be that person. To be honest with you, somebody else said the same thing. Somebody who uh, another, another listener. Um, was, is one of our actually admins on the, on the fan page. Cause I was discussing this with them, um, said, you know, they, they understand, you know, in debate where they could take on the other argument that they don't necessarily agree. And I'm not going to do that because here's the thing. And I appreciate it. I appreciate what, what she's offered. I appreciate what you guys have offered to do, but this is the thing. The purpose of that episode is not a debate. 
The purpose is if so, for someone who genuinely feels strongly they're guilty and thinks that I that we're missing the mark to come on and share their feelings. What I don't want is for somebody to you know who really thinks they're innocent just to spew because we I, I know the bullet points, but I want to I want to have somebody that I can have like a discussion like I can say okay well you think that well well. I understand. Had that. you considered this, and why do you think that? So and, I understand and, that. I, I'm just. I wouldn't mind seeing it all in one place. I guess that's why right. it's for for me. Whether it's a person or it's just a list that we're like, these are the sticking points for people who really aren't able to feel any other way than that they're guilty. I would like to see them in one place because in one sometimes in the chat, someone busts in and is like, they went on a hike. And I don't have any, any anything else to work with on that. It's just a person insisting that the hike happened. That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another uh, situation, someone will say, well, Robert clearly felt this way because of this interview. And we sort of look at that really quickly, but then we move on because we're talking about six other things. Uh, for me, it would be helpful just to see it, to see a list, to be like, these are the sticking points, whether or not that's a person debating it, or it's just an opportunity for me to understand concisely in one one place where the sink points are, I don't feel like I, I I know that. And maybe that doesn't ultimately matter as much, but um, I feel like there's just like things floating around that sort of get brought up over and over again, but they're on little islands by themselves that don't seem yeah. to tie into other data. So that's that's all. But again, this is your show. So whatever makes yeah. sense and whatever it's well, time we'll effective. We'll see if know, somebody does that. Um, and we'll see. Where, like I said, I'm, I, I'm just like you. I was looking forward to it. Um, you know, she said that, you know, she had she had joined the fan page and made a couple posts, obviously, saying, you know, of reasons, you know, pushing back against things that I had said or, or other people in the group thought uh, thought she was she had responses to that post that were rude. Uh, and so she left the group. And then uh, and, and to be fair to her, she told me that um, she just finds it irresponsible that I would that I would be ac- accusing like Leclerc of perjury. When it comes to the the sector data, with what she says is is no evidence, and so she doesn't want to be a part of it, which is which is fine. I, I guess that's the thing. If somebody else wants to step up and do it, you know, but but that's what that's what I want. Like I, I'm not. I get what you're what you're saying about the points, but but the discussion will like the 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 discussion goes nowhere very quickly if somebody's like, well, for example, say you're like, okay, one of the bullet points is I think the drive test does show that they could have made that 1023 voicemail at this time. My question would be, did they leave in a car? Right. What evidence What evidence is there that they left in a car? Is there any evidence that someone left that scene in a car? And then how someone who I know, you, like, I know, but with for, that. Yeah. Like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, no, where know, does that I discussion know, but go? I know, but it's helpful for, for us. I, I don't know. It just helps me to hear, like, just what you just said. I was like, yeah, I would love that all in one follow-up. Like, what if it's yeah. just a follow-up? What if it's just a follow-up where that exists in one follow-up? Maybe I'll try to come up with some some points yeah. of like, I keep seeing this come up just so I can... I love the idea because everyone knows I listen to this season over and over again. So mm-hmm. I actually would like it if I had a place where it was like, these continue to be sticking points or these are new sticking points that weren't even in the prosecution's case. But again, it's not like a do or tie. Yeah, but we'll see how, we'll see how it goes. Um, hopefully somebody else will step up and there's somebody in the chat that says you know she's she doesn't blame her because she was people were rude to her i mean that anybody that's been in that other group or like every one of our admins that was kicked out of that group just for being admins um i think it's it's pretty disingenuous to say oh someone was rude to me and this in, in our group to that's a reason why they wouldn't go when they're perfectly happy yeah. of, with the nastiness in another group not to even get get into all that 
Um, but she said she's been preparing for weeks. I, I was looking forward to, and anybody that's listened to, when I've had people from the guilty side come on in other seasons, I have never been rude to those people. No. I have always given them the opportunity to speak their mind. That's what I promised Nicole I would do. That's what I would do. She doesn't want to do it. That, that's fine. If someone else wants to do it, let me know. And, you're, and, and I'm happy to let them on. If no one wants to do it, but they want to give a list of bullet points to have somebody else read out, uh, we can do that too. I just, I, to me, that just, that, in my opinion, and I see people in the chat that say they'd like that, so maybe we'll do it. But, but in my opinion, that, that would be, and it'd be a waste, a waste of time just to list those bullet points. But I'm happy to do that if that's what people want and that's what people, someone sends in. The whole idea is for people, for me, the purpose of that episode is for the people who believe Robert and Christian are innocent and for the people who are on the fence to be able to understand why people who believe they're guilty feel that way. And I just don't think that can be an ex expressed through bullet points. I think it I needs to be expressed through a full conversation, a back and forth with questions so that you can hear the, to get the full extent of how that person feels. But with that, we'll move on from there and we'll see what happens. Because just as many people that are saying, yeah, maybe the bullet points, there was also, you know, there's also tons of people that are like, don't waste your time in doing any of this. So we'll just, we'll see how it goes. But just so you know, as of now, that episode's not happening. Nicole has backed out and we're just, we're open to someone else filling those shoes if they want to. Yeah. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And with that, we should probably get into questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do you want, uh, okay, so Zach, you found it infuriating. Uh, I too found it infuriating. And um, I, I also want to make sure that we touch on Brandon Kugler-Harrison's second interview because there was some interesting stuff in there. Uh, There's something very interesting that was brought up in the follow-up post on Facebook uh, by folks who felt they heard something in it. So do you want to start with that before we move into the state's closing ar argument? So it's a bonus, so it's not considered necessary listening, but we did listen to a short interview that was conducted uh, with Brandon Kugler-Harrison, I believe it was in 2013, and Brandon did say a couple of things. You opened the episode by saying that, you know, we do hear him say that he had lunch with Jacob and Javi uh, shortly, a few maybe a few days after the um, mm -hmm. murders happened, and as Brandon remembers it, he remembers being told that both of them we're in the car together, and uh, that's how he remembers it. I will say that um, I want to give that the same kind of, I think you do too, everybody does, the same kind of credence that we give everything else, which is it's years later. Um, right. We can't hold him to that. And I would also say I found him to be very credible in that I felt like he didn't, he didn't push any particular agenda. I think he was trying to be really magnanimous and really um, objective and not like even as he was being prompted by Vargas, I believe his name is, uh, even as Vargas out of nowhere goes, so what do you think happened? You think, uh, I guess you think Robert did it, huh? Like he just tells yeah. him what he thinks, which mm -hmm. I was aghast at, aghast at. So what do you think? Robert did it? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Brandon is careful yeah. to say, well, that's kind of what's been put into my mind. 
He yes, didn't exactly. even say, that's what I think or a conclusion I came to myself. He was very careful to say, I feel like that's what's been put into my mind by these recent conversations. Yeah. So I, I really respected his perspective. Um, I doubt that he was told that Jacob and Javi were in the car together, but um, it's, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting sort of, you know, brings us back to the, the other idea of like, did Javi use a payphone sometime that night? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, but within the interview, also, Kate H., I'm going to read Kate's, uh, but Kate is speaking for Nicole and Den, uh, says, A bunch of us heard whispers during the Brandon interview, especially around when Brandon mentioned that Javi said that Javi and Jacob were driving around Pinion area around the time of the murders. The whispers said two sets of footprints. Were Jacob or Javi ever asked about what kind of shoes they wore? So we have two separate things going on in that question. First of all, did you hear the whispers? I couldn't hear them, but I was listening in a not perfect context, uh, audio-wise. Uh, I, d- I did hear them, I didn't, but I didn't think much about them. And, and there's three things there, because one is, the first thing was, what do I think about Brandon saying that Javier and Jacob were driving up there together? And then also, what, what about the wizard, uh, the whispers? And maybe it was just two things. But so th- let me jump to that first one. And yeah, with you, you, you've got to take it with a grain of salt, like everything else. So Brandon said that years after the fact that he remembered Javi saying that him and Jacob were driving up there. So I don't, I don't think that we can consider that fact. That said, it, it, to me, it could make sense. But again, I, I I don't think Javi had anything to do with it, with the murder. Javi's phone was back down at the valley at the time of the murders. But if we're talking about Jacob driving around up there with him before the murders, like during that 640 call when he's up in Anza and he's driving around there, all I can say is based on phone records, that's possible. Based on Javi's weird – because remember, when Javi first gets interviewed – Oh, I was just driving up there uh, just because I like to go on a drive. Like he completely omitted the fact that he was going there with the intent and purpose of going to Becky's house. And we're wondering, like, why is he lying about that? Uh, and he said one of the reasons was because Jacob was at work. But we know Jacob wasn't at work. Uh, Jacob's phone doesn't have service during that whole time. So as far as the facts that we have, is it possible that Jacob was with Javier when he was driving up there? I think, yeah, I think it's possible. Do I think it's fact because Brandon said it? No, uh, but I but but I think that we it, it's it's something to put a pin in. And and again, I'm not talking about guilt or innocence. You know, if it, if it shows that Javier's guilty or Jacob's guilty, I don't think that Javier. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about Jacob. There's no evidence that he did this. Um, with Javier, there is evidence that he didn't do this. Uh, that he wasn't there. Um, but I think that it could explain why. Javi was lying or omitting things, why he was changing his story, why he was real weird about it. Why, you know, when they said, you know, who do you think did this? And he's like, well, or who do you think couldn't have done that? Well, my, my, right away, my cousin Jacob couldn't have done it. Like he was seemed to be defending Jacob right away. Um, it, 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 and then Jacob's lies about his story. So it, it could be explaining that it could just be that they were driving up there. Maybe they were pulling, maybe the conversation where he said, she said, well, don't come because it'll make it awkward with Robert. Maybe there was more to that conversation. Maybe it was she knew Jacob was coming and she said, no, don't bring him up here. Robert's coming. We just don't. And I'm not saying any of that happened. I'm just <clears> saying 
that was it added some interesting context to a bunch of nagging questions that we've had in in the case. As far as the whispers, uh, yeah, I heard it. I don't know who that is. Um, I don't know if Bodmer was there with him and was like whispering in the background. Hmm. It kind of seemed to me like maybe it was another investigator. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know who was whispering. Well, you've given me a lot to think about. I, I, I just don't know. Yeah, that's what you said is possible is um, it's really speaking of innocent ex- reasons for things. It's it's hard to imagine deciding that you're not going to say that someone was with you. And that just seems like really, really, really risky choices. Uh, so I, I, I'm I'm sure that's not what happened. But but we have to couple that with the fact that he did, you know, he lied. I know about why he was up there. You know, so he was hiding something. I know. About why he was up there. And again, I, I keep stressing this, but in my opinion, his phone records alibi him. So I'm not saying I think he's guilty of this crime, but he did lie to the police right then about why he was up there. Yeah. Uh, as far as what shoes they wore, did they ever do? And we know, we know that um, LeClaire on the first meeting of Javier asks to see the bottom of his shoes. Is there any more done around shoe size and shoe type with those two after that? I don't believe so. I don't believe they ever, and even with Robert and Christian, they didn't like go look for their shoes until they executed the search warrant in October of 2007. Right. I mean, that's if the one piece of evidence, and again, it just goes back to the, the lack of investigation here. If the one piece of evidence you think you have are these footprints that lead out to an area near where this business cart is and the wheelbarrow tracks are, you'd think the first thing you would do is start pulling people's shoes and seeing if anybody has a match. Uh, but they didn't. And I don't even know, maybe it was Javier, but I know Bo Nash's. They looked at Bo Nash's shoes that day. Um, I don't even, maybe they looked at Javier's and I just don't remember. But I, but I, the only ones I remember was they actually looked and took a picture of Bo Nash's shoes. Okay, so th- that's sort of the main stuff from Brandon's. Let's get into the closing arguments. Uh, Sue, I'm going to read your post, but I'm, I'm, this is sort of encapsulating what Jennifer and Chris and Heather um, Heather, who actually mentioned the Supreme Court in, in her question um, about this idea, which we spoke about earlier, about uh, Aki being able to just sort of say um, loose interpretation of the facts. Uh, Sue says, as a foreigner, in quotes, I'm having a real trouble with the fact that the prosecutor can lie repeatedly in the closing argument and get away with it. Is this something particular to California state law or is it common across the country? Does it come from somewhere in the Constitution? It seems to me that it's completely opposed to the idea of a fair trial that the last thing the jury hears from the state is a pack of lies, which is, you know, pack of lies. That's Obviously, that's a frustrated person who feels similarly to the way we all do that, you know, there's there's plenty of truth in it, but there's also a lot of misstatements and there are things that are outright 100 percent false. Um, We talked about not really knowing the origin of that. uh, But, you know, Heather even said, uh, as I mentioned, like, is this something that gets taken to the Supreme Court? Like, how does something like this change? How do you change this? I don't know because uh, again, this is I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kick the can down the road a little bit on that question because I think we need to have a lawyer um, answer. But again, my understanding is the the rules are there; they're just not followed. Like 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 the rules. I believe the rules state they can't misstate evidence, and and the other side is certainly allowed to object. It's not like the rules say you can't object during closing. It's like this weird thing where it's like you'll see it, and there is an objection during if you read the transcript during the um, Aki's closing where Moore objects 
what uh, it says, you know, he's trying to tap into the emotions or something of the jury, but even says, you know, he's like, he's like, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to object. And I've seen in transcripts many times before where they'll be like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I really hate to object during closing. Like, it, it's like, it's just this frowned upon thing, even though it's allowed, but it's like, it's like the two things conflict with each other. The way I see it as a non-lawyer, which is you're not allowed to misstate evidence, but the jury's instructed that what you say is not evidence because of that. And so most judges, in my experience in reading trial transcripts, most judges are like, yeah, well, maybe it's wrong, but it's not evidence. So who cares? Well, for me, too, it's the way they, they twist everything. It's not that there was – I mean, there is misstating, but there are certain things that they will say misstated, but they really just twisted the truth, like the gas cans being upstairs. Mm-hmm. Like the gas cans were in the attic of the garage. Yeah. But they misstate they mis they twist it to say they were upstairs and then yeah. they were found in the attic. And then spins this whole story. I think I called it a fairy tale in the episode about how they poured it at the base and poured it on their way upstairs and then threw it into the attic. And it's literally it's like they're just trying to in my to me, what it seems like is this crime scene doesn't make sense. It certainly doesn't make sense with their theory of the case. So what they're trying to do is turn it into a story with a beginning, middle, and end that does make sense. And so so the jurors can visualize, oh, yeah, they poured it. Because, like, that doesn't matter for who did it or who didn't, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just, like, it's connecting dots. It all makes sense. You know, they, it's like they want to feel like, this. look, this all makes sense when you put it together, when in reality it doesn't make sense at all. Tara, there was some some conversation from, from Tara um, and from Sarah and Joel about this idea of motive. And the fact that, you know, for example, Sarah says, this is an odd thing to pick out, but I was struck by the statement, even though I have no obligation, nor do I have to prove motive to you, um, just sort of, you know, you've said it before on the podcast, I think we've talked about it, that you're right, they're not required to provide motive, um, but that that sort of is weighed against the idea of the jury wanting motive, whether or not it's the obligation of the, the prosecution. So it sure seems like Aki has a strong understanding of that. Um, that he knows that people are mm-hmm. going to be asking the question why. A lot of people who are here and have been part of this season uh, who are listening don't understand why, don't see a motive, and that the idea of them being selfish doesn't seem like it's uh, particularly well fleshed out. Um, but that's that's sort of the kind of... I think they just wanted to clarify, like, that's really what we're saying, right? Is that you do not have to prove motive right. at all, but... If you want to tell a good story, you have to come up with something. What what Aki said there is, in my, again, in my experience, reading trial transcript is is extremely common. When when there's no apparent motive and there is no legal obligation to prove motive, but you kind of always see in my again in my only in my experience, you only see you always see the same thing where they're like, "Look, I want to remind you that I don't have to prove motive," but then they also know that. There's a human aspect to this, and the jurors want to understand motive, so then they'll still offer one, but remind you again, I don't have to prove this to you, but I'm going to let you know why I think that they that they did this. Uh, and in this case, it was so it's so it's a question all of our listeners have been asking this whole season: why, 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 why? Zach said the other week, mm-hmm. I wanted like, where's the motive? Why would they do this? And they know the jurors are wanting that, so they're trying to give them something, but even it. it it, it, well, even his answer didn't didn't satisfy. I mean, not that it needed to satisfy me, but doesn't satisfy because they're selfish. 
Yeah. Because their lives are more important than the other. Like that, it still doesn't supply any form of motive to me. What was weird to me is that he said it twice. The first time he said their motive for killing these people in 2006 was out of selfishness because they wanted you, the jury, to know that their lives were more important to the victims. Like what? So that. Yeah, that's that's not great. Mm -hmm. But then later he says. Uh, Robert did it because he was jealous because he didn't get the response he was looking for. But even that was weird because he just spent this whole time saying, he's saying there's another person there, but there's not another person there. This is just him making up a story and then cut to he's not, he did it because she said another person would be there and he's jealous. It's like, well, which one is it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very confusing. Uh, okay, so Kristen and Allison, um, I'm going to read Kristen's, but uh, some some conversation going on about this. Did the defense bring in a landscape expert to explain why there could have been a hole in the ground past where the, uh, distur- like rather than being a disturbance area? Um, and can the defense go line by line of the prosecutor's closing and explain away their lies? And did the defense do that? Obviously, some of that is going to be answered in next week's episode. But Ashley also says, how much time does the defense have to prepare remarks after the state's arguments? They have, they have none. There's no time. You're just doing it on the fly, well, right? It, it, de- it depends on where things are at. I with guess the if you close, yeah, I guess if the, the, so the I think in this one, have- after the closing, they took a recess for lunch Understood. and then came back and okay, then Okay, so he had did. a lunch. Yeah, he had lunch to kind of, to, to put his things together. As far as a landscape expert, no, they, the defense didn't put up a defense. Their position was, their strategy was they thought that there was enough that, that the prosecution just didn't prove their case and they didn't want to muddy the waters by bringing in a bunch of more evidence and a bunch of more cross-examination. It's basically, they felt like the state had their shot. They failed miserably. So let's just let the jury go to deliberations with that. Um, of course, in hindsight, now we see that, you know, it would have been, you know, like it would have been great to hear from Marty. It would have been great to hear from Jackie. It would have been great to hear, you know, for, from DNA experts, cell phone experts, things like that. But they just they felt that the state didn't prove their case, so they didn't put up a defense, really. Right. I hope that that's what was going on, like from the bottom of my heart. I hope that they weren't just like busy doing other things. No, I, uh, I, I believe that's what they thought. Yeah. And I believe if you look on paper, they're right. Right. Like, like, right. like, if you, if you look at the actual evidence of the, and I'll tell you, just kind of give you a little heads up, you know, like, don't, that's basically Dolan's closing is he's like, look, they said a lot of stuff here, but let's look at what evidence they act, they, what it was actually proved by evidence. Gotcha. And he breaks down, like, they didn't prove anything. Okay. You know, the only thing proven is what they stipulated to. The rest of that is just smoke and mirrors. Gotcha. Okay. And we'll be able to talk about that more next week anyway. Uh, and so Jennifer brought up this point. I think it's nice to sort of circle back on this and just remind everyone. Um, Jennifer says, so if the rules are different regarding what information can be presenting clo- during closing arguments, um, it would have been nice if that extended out to the fact that they could maybe make mention of some alternate suspects. Like, right. obviously, it's not that stretchy. But um, when the prosecution is saying stuff and the defense may have seen a window or an opportunity to say, Look, I'm not saying these other people did it, but you could say the same of this, this, and this. Um, but we know that it, it's it's more stringent than that, right? Like, no matter what, you can't bring up alternate suspects yeah. in a closing. And, and again, it's just it's just not it's not a fair system. It's just really not because that's exactly right. Like they get all this leeway, but if 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 Moore or Dolan tried to say, "Look, I'll tell you who I think did this. What about Javier? 
that would have caused an eruption uh, because there was a there was a direct motion from the judge that they were not allowed to do that. And so they would object to that. There would be a bench conference. The jury would be told to disregard it. Uh, that kind of, that being said, too, I don't 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 mistake. I don't want you to mistake this. The defense does have the same leeway where they can twist things, too, and they often do. Um, but things like that would not be allowed because that was a direct motion from the judge that they weren't allowed. It would be like the pro- it would be like if the prosecution brought up a polygraph test in their closing. That would have been halt. You cannot do like, like like that. You can twist the way you think things happened and misstate some things, but you can't bring in something that's absolutely not allowed in. Right. Um, I wanted to read Rosalind's post. Uh, Rosalind says, I've been an expert witness. If I didn't have certain information I felt needed to form an accurate, thorough, precise opinion, I would simply ask for it and refrain from providing my conclusion until that information was available and analyzed by myself. So I'm assuming the expert, as we're talking about cell data here, knew or should have known that sector data was important to narrow down the direction of travel. Why wouldn't the expert ask for it? When the state said they didn't have it, truth or not, why would the expert not insist on having it and wait to form that opinion until that information was available? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm right there with you because most of you guys know I I have testified as an expert witness multiple times myself. Um. And and I think based on the testimony, I think they did ask the state for it because um, he he said that you know, and what the expert did, I don't fault Bulls for this at all, uh, because he was honest with him. He said, you know, I, from what from the information you gave me, this is what I see with the cell phone records, and then he testified to, but I can't give you an accurate location without sector data. He made sure to clarify that I can't do it without sector data. One hundred percent, I believe that he he would have said, "Well, okay, well, if you want me to do this, I need sector data." And like, there's there's no there that was part of the the, the whole thing that was upsetting Nicole on the on the fan page was that you know this is just they didn't really have it, you don't know, and there's you know it's semantics about what they called it and didn't call it or what the terminology was. But there's no way that I think there's no way that the FBI expert didn't request the sector data and they didn't have it. And I don't think he's corrupt. I I believe with all of my heart that the evidence very clearly shows that the state told him probably upon his request that they did not have it when they do, because he references the fact that the state doesn't have it. The only way he would know that is if the state told him they didn't have it when in fact they did the whole time. Got it. Jason says juries will form their decisions based on a 40-minute closing argument. And I think he's referring back to how you characterize, uh, how he feels you characterized it in the episode. Is this based on a case study or research? In this case, the jury deliberated for over 50 hours while requesting to review multiple testimonies and interviews before reaching a guilty verdict. What info do you have that they made their decision on the closing arguments? Uh, No, there's no empirical study on what people are thinking when they do things. It's it's human nature. But I can tell you this just came right before we came on the show, uh, because a lot of these questions came up uh, and I've mentioned that I knew about this a while ago, but I hadn't been able to get an interview. Um, But one of uh, a a family member of Roberts received through uh, through a website that they created for the um, for Roberts, uh, you know, know, trying to for his appeals and stuff um, 
one of the jurors sent an email and she was an alternate juror and she had sent an email to the family telling her what happened and the conversation that she that she spoke to she was the alternate so she didn't get to deliberate but talk to the jurors that did deliberate uh this juror said that she absolutely would not have found them guilty uh and wanted to know how they did uh and you can see in the end um um the family member i don't know they probably already did they said this morning they're going to post this uh but but i will point out uh, that in the very beginning of her email, she says, I am not concerned about my privacy and I under- and I stand by what I'm saying. Like she was okay with this being shared. So I'm not sharing anything out of context. I hadn't reported on it because I wanted to personally interview her and haven't been able to get any response from her. Um, uh, but just, but just, just some things that she found, um, the things that made her think they were guilty. Uh, she says that both p- towers pinged off excuse me, both phones pinged off towers in the area going up to the home at a crucial time prior to the murders. Uh Uh-oh. That was not evidence from the trial. That was the story Mm. that was told in closing arguments. Now, she had all the different things that that countered that, and I'll get into more about this later in another episode, and it'll it'll be posted. Uh, But she spoke with um, uh, one of the jurors called her as they were leaving the courthouse right after the the verdict was read. and she asked, like, what happened? And she said that the vote was initially split half and half. So when everything was said and done, and this is what also pisses me off about our system, is that after hearing all the evidence, six of those jurors voted not guilty. And from, in my opinion, the way deliberations work and going on for 10 days is ridiculous. Because that means those six jurors didn't change their mind based on what they heard at trial they changed their mind based on the arguments from the other jurors. And that juror told her that the deliberations were heated. Uh, she said that uh, Jeremy Witt's testimony really wasn't considered. They didn't find him credible at all. But then here, she asked them, how did you get past the DNA that was on Becky's socks? And they said it was because, it says, when the fire crew had to put the fire out, the DNA was likely compromised by the water and foam. Mm. Where did that come from? It came from the fucking closing Mm. where he kept saying that it would. Now she says, you know, that, that she's like, I'm not a DNA expert, but I don't think water and foam would cause someone else's DNA to show up on there. Also, they didn't use foam on the body. It's nonsense. But to, but to your question, Jason, that was the big, one of the big sticking points for them was they were able to dismiss other people's DNA on the victim's body because the prosecutor in his closing arguments said that water and foam would have compromised it. Oh, then also this, this is just wrong. Uh, uh, he said that when they were reviewing the phone records that they had requested, uh, it showed that the phone call placed by Javier Garcia to Robert in the morning after the murders never connected. But that's not true. It did connect wow. and they did talk. But their, but by their understanding of reading that, it didn't. But that doesn't have anything to do with Jason's questions. It's just interesting. Um. Interestingly enough, the juror concluded that the wheelbarrow was already in the spot where it was found. They don't believe that the tracks of the wheelbarrow had anything to do with this. So they think that they must have killed her and then carried her and put her in the wheelbarrow. So for those of you that think that people are just nuts for thinking that that wheelbarrow track to the business card isn't connected. Well, the jurors who sat through the whole trial didn't think it was connected either. But then they, you know, came up with a scenario how it could still how it could still fit. But then she says, uh, Jason mentions that they they requested evidence along the way. 
Well, look what they requested. She said they did not start comparing the phone records to the police statements until day nine of deliberations. So nine days into the deliberations, they still had people voting not guilty. They were still hung. So then they went to look at the phone records. And the more they deliberated on that evidence, the more the jurors started to vote, uh, started voting on a uh, voting on a guilty verdict. So their issue is that the phone records don't jive with the story. That's what happened in the on day nine when they started when they started going over that. The thing is that we know with the sector data that the phone records do jive with their story. But when Aki in closing told them that they the, cl- the phone records clearly show that they were headed south, that they were at Robert's house at the cover at the, at the on the tower connected to Robert's house when they called the church, and then later were down on Tower Seven Hundred Five, which is not true. But that's what was said in closing. That's what they're saying wasn't consistent with their statement. And then when it says the last tower they hit is Tower Seven Forty Five, as Aki said in the closing, showed that they were clearly headed down Seventy Four down the hill. That's what they thought was inconsistent because they didn't know, because it was never provided to the experts, that they actually last hit off Tower 705. So the things that actually made the difference in this case, and again, I can't, when, I, when, I, when I'm speaking to human nature about what happens in trials, that's just from years of being around humans and knowing, and knowing how that works. I know there's no empirical study for that. But if you want to talk about this case in particular, from a juror who sat through the entire trial, and then talk to the jurors who who voted on the guilty verdict, the reasons that they finally were able to sway people to get everybody to vote guilty were based on the things that were said in closing that are not actual evidence, that are not true. So, yes, I stand by what I said. And for somebody who is um, maybe not a Bob Ruff fan uh, or not a fan of the family or, or is convinced uh, that the that the jury got it right, um, are, are they going to say like, oh, this was just a fake letter that was written by a member of the family that's making everything up to to put ever whatever forward agenda they want to? Is that? I'm sure they'll try something like that. Okay. I, I mean, it's, the email address is not, I, well, I did tell her that she should redact the email yeah, address, sure. but you can see that it, this is a printout from an email. You can see where it came from. Uh, yeah. I have vetted the source to make sure that it came from the right person but those just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there i'm sure it will make no difference but i'm i just wanted to try to be objective and ask those questions yep someone will uh so going back to fire the foam for 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 a second teresa says with the fire department document what suppression modes would use would the report say if foam was used no i well the the full report maybe we don't have the full report with narrative say that now trying to remember if I did have it but it but it wouldn't go into that kind of specifics. So in the episode you mentioned that foam wouldn't be used in this circumstance. So wh- what kind of circumstance would foam be used in? Okay, oh you guys want fire science talk? Well, let, I, I mean you cuz this is uh-oh. one of my favorite topics. Well, but in the episode you specifically say that you know foam wasn't used because this isn't the type of incident that would require foam. So what sure. I want to know what what does require foam. Okay. So um Class A foam, which is it would be the type of foam you, you would use uh, for structural fi- is, is made for intended for structural firefighting. And what it does is it's just it's basically soap that you're adding into the water at a very small amount, like like a fraction of a percent. And what that does, as you guys probably know from soap, is it breaks up the surface area. You've seen like the Dawn commercials; they put the drop on and it spreads the grease away and stuff. 
But what it's doing is it's breaking up the surface area. The way I always taught how to use Class A foam was if you t- if you think about burning a log, you know, if you if you have a fire going and you take a big log and put it in the fire, it's going to take hours to burn up to consume that log. Um, and so if you think of that log as your hose stream, now if you split the log into fourths and spread them out a little bit, then it'll it'll burn up instead of say four hours, it'll burn up in thirty minutes. Uh, if you take that, so if you, that's your hose stream still. So if you take that same log and you grind it up into sawdust and throw it at the fire, it'll this exact same amount of fuel will burn up in an instant, right? It's almost explosive. Well, that what what happens with with fire you're, you're, when people think that when people are putting out fires or spraying water on the fire to make it wet, uh, but what's actually happening is is an, an, an endothermic reaction where the water is absorbing the heat in order to convert to to steam. So you have heat in a box in the room. You put the water in; it absorbs the heat, converts to steam, much like the the log would burn up and convert to carbon and smoke. Um, so what the Class A foam does is it takes that host that water stream and it splits it splits it up into tiny microscopic particles and causes it to absorb heat faster. So its its use case is when you're inside of a building and and it's very hot and you need to absorb a lot of heat very fast. That's what you use Class A foam uh, for. And then it also has a penetrative quality because because uh, adding soap foam to something will allow it to like penetrate deeper into wood. So in hot, long, smoldering fires where like the wood is still smoldering and stuff, we would crank the foam on and you'd spray it with that and it will hold the water on it a little longer and it'll, it'll allow it to, to penetrate deeper into the wood to put it out. It's not made... And it has no purpose or significance at all to extinguish a fire outside. Certainly, a body burning that is putting out very little heat that you just you just have to cool it off real quick uh, with the water. There's no need for it. You wouldn't do it. You would be an idiot to do it because obviously that's evidence, and you don't want to spray it on there. And also, because of the nature and dynamics of the foam, it leaves this residue on everything you spray it with. It's there. For hours and hours and hours, day like you can go back to a fire scene days later and see the residue still on it, and there's none of that on Becky's body. Her body was put out with a drizzling of water, is how it, which is just a, a light crack of the hose. It was just kind of dribbled over her. That's how her body was extinguished. Got it. Karina says, uh, and I would love to circle back on this. These are great questions from Karina and Jennifer. Uh, so the jury were they instructed to find them both guilty? or both not guilty as a unit, there's no flexibility in like, well, we decided to just find Christian guilty, or we decided to just find Robert guilty. Um, They had options for both. I do want to circle back because there's a good question in the chat. Uh, Chris in the YouTube chat said, um, how has it changed from no foam on Becky's body to foam in the house? It's just a flip of the switch by the engineer back at the truck. So they would put it on and, and they probably wouldn't have been using it much for the free burning fire. They may have early to try to knock it out. Um, but they would start spraying it off and then they would flip it on in the truck um, to start bringing the foam on. And even that, remember I, I said in the episode that attack line is is going to be 150 foot to 200 foot long. Even if they had the foam turned on at the very beginning, the first the, the first several hundred gallons that come out won't have foam in them. Uh, because you gotta, you you got to get it all the way from the pump to mix in all the way through. So even if they had it flipped on, it still wouldn't have come out on her body. But that's a good question. Uh, but as far as your question about the... Um, the verdicts, yeah, they they had options for first degree and second degree murder for each of the charges against each of the defendants. So they could have found Robert guilty and Christian not guilty. They had they had those options. 
Okay. And then uh, just verifying it's it's one jury, it's not two juries, you know, people have become familiar with the idea of true yes. two juries simultaneously because of Paul and Ruben Flores, but it was just one. So there's your answer. Uh, Jennifer, Rachel, you'd asked about conversations with jurors. So we've uh, had some very interesting developments on hearing that uh, information in this episode. Hope that answers that question for you. Uh, and then um, going back to one of the things that you said in the episode, you said, that nobody ever said that they went to AMPM at 9.30 or that Christian and Robert didn't say that they went to AMPM at 9.30 um, because mm. the timing is so important in all of this. Jason does say, uh, didn't Robert contact a police after his initial interview to say he went to AMPM at 9.30? No. So in the initial interview, he doesn't. He he says that he thinks it was around 9 when they went to James Workman. And then he's asked, well, what'd you guys do after that? He's like, no, we were there. We did that for a while. And then we went home and we stopped and got the stuff. And then we got home around 10 or 1030. Christian said he thought it was 10 or 1030. Robert called back the next day uh, for for two things. Uh, and I have the transcript here. I actually didn't. I, I'd never even seen this transcript till he mentioned that. And I was and so I had to go back and find it. Uh, but he called back on the on the 19th and he was he had had more conversation with Javier after that, and then someone he used to work with named Megan, who had told him of, that Becky had a bunch of pictures of with of him and all that all that stuff that you know were you know kind of came people were saying that she was obsessed with him or whatever. And he called back and he said, "Hey, you know when you were asking, and I'll, and I'll post this transcript. Um, you, you were you were asking if she was like emotional or whatever. Was like Javier was telling me that she did have all these pictures of me and stuff. And, he, and he's just kind of like I don't know." He's kind of stumbling through it, so I I don't know. And then Megan, the girl I used to work with, knows her and said the same thing. So he's he kind of shares some of that. And then this is what he says. He says, "Is there anything else?" Hang on, let me get to the page in the transcript. Uh, anything else? And Robert in that phone conversation said, "My cousin um said that he thinks I actually got home about like nine thirty, but I'm not really sure I could have got home that early." That's pretty, what Robert pretty said. Pretty damning. Yeah. Yeah. So no, Robert didn't call back and say I was at the AM PM at 930. <clears throat> he said in this conversation that his cousin said he thinks he was home at 930. But again, Robert says, but I don't think his exact words, but I'm not really sure I could have got home that early. So, so not, not, a, not a fair characterization of that conversation. Not at all. Um, uh, from my point of view. Um, one thing I just wanted to quickly touch on is, you know, I went back and, and listened to Robert's interview. I had the same experience. You know, I, I, it's like I wanted to hear from myself. I didn't want to just take your word for it. I mm -hmm. went back and listened to that phone, that conversation with Robert uh, yet again. I listened to the conversation, the first conversation with Javi again. Um, this is neither here nor there. Please don't don't at me saying that suddenly I've proved that they're innocence based on this alone. But just listening to it again at a different point in the season than I have previously, just listening to Robert get the days wrong and say he saw Becky, what would have been the night of the murder. And just to screw that up so bad, I just, in my mind, I was like, there's no way you would do that if you were guilty. You just wouldn't. 
You would know that the thing you had con- you were confusing. I mean, what kind of weird Machiavellian? Like, oh, here's the thing. I did kill her last night, but what I'm going to do, and this is complicated, is I'm going to <laughs> pretend like I remember the night, but I'm going to say I remember it, but really I'm remembering Saturday night, and that way it will seem innocent when later I realize, I pretend, stumble, and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I got the nights wrong last night. You know, that'll make it seem like... I'm so confused by all of this that I didn't, I couldn't have killed her because I would remember that. Like, it just seems so, it's such a weird, dumb thing to get wrong. And it's a very weird thing to get wrong if you committed the crime. It's just, the it would be the weirdest, most like psychotic, strange thing to do. I I had the same experience. I mean, that is strong, compelling evidence to me. Yeah. In a, in a much deeper way than I ever really thought about it. Because I was very, you know, I was not necessarily on Team Robert, um, if you yeah. want to put it that glibly. Uh, but when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, what a goober. Like, what a doofus. Yeah. Like, of course he didn't do this. Like, you just would never, no one's ever going to pretend to be that dumb. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not his fault. It's just like, I don't know, that, that, that really hit me in a, on a different level. And I was like, oh, my God, of course they didn't do this. Anyway. Yeah. But I had that, the same experience because you remember back at the time, I was like the first thing that jumped out at me when we you know, a year ago, whenever we heard that interview was like this is if he's guilty and he knows when he needs an alibi, he wouldn't have screwed that up like that would be. And we talked about that with Dr. Shallow and Scott. But then again, because I as I said, I have to go back and review everything to cross reference to do these episodes. And I listened to it again. And it's like no, that and then the bit afterwards when he's walking away and he asks about the wheelbarrow again, it was like. I definitely have not changed my opinion about those things after hearing right. all this evidence that he's clueless. As and far when as what he, and here. when he and the and when he is telling the detective what Javi told him, it's almost like he's reading it off a piece of paper, like he made notes to himself. I know he didn't, but like yeah. he's he, you see, it's like he's going through the list in his mind. He's like, okay, these are the things I was told. I was told the sex was unrecognized. I was told that the dad couldn't identify them. I was told yeah. that. This happened. I was told that I was told that Robbie was supposed to be there. Like this yeah. is important. Like this, maybe this is important and helpful. Like it's just mm-hmm. like he's he's mentally going through the things that he was like. I was told this. I was told this. I was, it's just so. It's just so not guilty knowledge. Anyway, another question from Susan. Every once in a while, someone asks about where Leclerc is now and what's happened to him. I don't know if you have the answer to that. I, he's still with the. My understanding is he's still with the department. Um, I think he's been promoted since then, if I remember correctly. Don't quote me on that, but okay. I believe that's the case. And then I have a question um, from Vivian. I'm not sure where this came from because I don't feel like we've talked about this or that we had uh, that we had determined this. Vivian says, did detectives or police talk to any friends from the casino where John went most Friday nights? I I don't know that we know that or I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know if that was we were wondering because he always pulled out cash on those days if that's what he was doing. It just sounds so specific. It just sounds like specific, a specific yeah. understanding of something that I don't think we've no. ever talked about. So Vivian, if you're listening to this and you know where you got that information, will you please share that? You can just direct message us on Facebook or yeah, let us know or whatever. Um, okay. So that's really what I have for today. I guess that was a lot. So um, it was a very busy episode with a lot to talk about, especially when we add Brandon's interview, but very, very interesting. I'm so dying to hear uh, the defense's closing. Yeah, and it, it, it's super interesting, and it is very well well organized. And somebody that's in the chat, am I going to be as fair with that and point out? Absolutely. My intention for, as I said, 
very clearly during the state. Like this is not this problem with closing is not just a prosecution thing. Attorneys on both sides do it every day and I hate it. So any 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 inconsistencies, lies, misstating evidence, I will absolutely call that out um when we go through through Dolan's cross or Dolan's closing arguments this week and again when we do Jeff Moore's um you'll hear it all and of course the transcript will be posted for you. And uh with that sorry, I just I was reading the chat like I'm not supposed to while I'm trying to talk. Uh, but I'm glad I did because Uli said that uh, she has a friend that said LeClaire is retired, that they work together. So I guess LeClaire is retired now. Um, so says Uli, listener. Um, so uh, with that, uh, we're gonna, and, and again, if anybody listening to this is on the I am 100% convinced Robert and Christian are guilty and you are open to coming on the show to to present that case. Uh, we're more than more than happy to have, have you. I promise you I will be nice to you. I don't even con- – Understand this too. I don't even consider it a debate, and that's partially why I don't want somebody else doing it. My intention is, and I told Nicole this. My intention is not to debate. I will. I may have some questions that I might push back about. You know how you reconcile this with this, but the, the intention is to let you explain your your side for the audience to hear it and make up their mind on their own. It is not meant to be hostile. It is not meant to be a debate. So if you want to come on and do that, let us know. Otherwise, we're going to probably just move past it. Please, somebody, please, somebody step up because I would really honestly love to hear what the other side has to say. Yeah, I was looking forward to Nicole coming on. Um, and with that being said, thank you guys so much. And uh, and and remember, if you are not subscribed to our YouTube channel, the Truth and Justice Podcast YouTube channel, subscribe, turn on notifications because... Our tentative plan is sometime probably around noon Eastern, 11 Eastern, whenever Janet can be because we're in different time zones, can get on. We'll let you know. Uh, We're going to try this true crime live thing where we'll have just a a casual conversation, maybe do a little celebrity pop in, talk about news uh, and true crime that's going on or whatever true crime thing we want to talk about that day. That'll be coming up on probably Monday, Sunday. The episode's coming out. Anything else I'm forgetting? I don't think Nothing I can think of. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. 
For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. For all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. All right, here we go. Ahoy, friends. Thank you. What, what is happening? JV, can you hear me? No. Let's try that again. Ahoy, friends. Good enough. Sorry, Bob, that you have to edit all of that mess, even though you're not in here. Oh, it's warm in here. I feel like I should put my glasses in Bob's glasses pile and just see what happens and see if he notices. Goes to put them on, it'll be a mess. Just all by myself again. Just chilling here all by myself. See what's going on. Nope. 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 All by myself. All by myself. It's disgusting.